Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode number 78, our Spider-Man, Stuber, Midsummer, Summer, Pelusia, Extravaganza. What would you call this middle of the summer episode? Uh, a halfway point. And we're finally back in the studio. Yes. It's, it's good been a be, bit. It's Yeah, it's good to be back here. And we got three genres tonight. We got a comic book movie, a mainstream comedy, and some folk horror. And it's, I think if you stick around, you're going to hopefully enjoy our takes on all three of those, or at least no, there will be no question what we think about all three of them before it's done. So um, how's your summer going, Adam? It's been busy. You've been out and about, and you're about to be out and about again. <laughs> I and... know. I just came back from Texas. I was there for a week. <laughs> Doing some time before Fantastic Fest. I'll be back there in September. Um, getting excited. The lineup for Fantastic Fest usually drops. First wave will hit end of July, early August. So first 20 movies or so we'll find out very shortly. Yeah, and you booked your ticket for Telluride? Yep, got my press credentials for Telluride. My first time going there. I'm excited. That'll be in October. And you might get some, we, we might get some really good, like, world premieres there, maybe. You know, you never know. You never know. And so. then uh, this Friday, if you're local to Columbus, uh, tickets and badges go on sale for Focal, the Film Festival of Columbus, which we covered last year. Yeah, we'll probably do a little coverage this year as well. Man, I have had an exciting summer. Um, I think I told the listeners stepped into a new job and getting settled in there, and things are starting to settle down. And so I'm in a schedule now where I have my nights and weekends for the most part free, which is great for remo- for reviewing movies. So so what's it like being a hitman? Well, it's a tough job, but <laughs> somebody's got to do it, right? Yeah. I've seen the gold coins you lug around. That's exactly right, you know. So anyway, it, it's, it is good. We've got like, I can't believe this is like the first time in a while uh, we've got three movies. I mean, three yeah. three movies to go over, and I'm excited about that. But we haven't podcasted in a while, which we're guilty of. We're going to try to get on a little better course and see if we can stay to it Our here. schedules are finally lining up again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're brand new to the Film Coterie Podcast, thank you for sticking around this long while we just ramble. We are a mainstream film podcast. We just review everything. We see everything. We review everything. Um, yeah, that's that's what we are, so... Cool. Anything? I'm excited to dig in. We got. A lot I of am stuff too. To talk we about. got three movies to do. Why don't we take a little listen in to Spider-Man: Far From Home? You're listening to the Film Coterie podcast. We'll be right back. Well, Fury asked me to come up here and see how you were doing. He just he felt bad about snapping at you. Really? You guys do have sarcasm on this earth, right? <laughs> how you feeling? I didn't think I was going to have to save the world this summer. I know that makes me sound like such a jerk. I just, I had this plan with this girl that I really like, and now it's all ruined. I like you, Peter. You're a good kid. There's a part of me that wants me to tell you to just turn around, run away from all this. And then there's another part of me that knows what we're about to fight, what's at stake. I'm glad you're here. Me too. But you're worried about your friends. Yeah. I just always feel like I'm putting them in danger. Look, just get them inside and keep them in a safe place for just a few hours and they'll be all right. 
It's really nice to have somebody to talk to about superhero stuff, you know? Anytime. All right, we are back, and the first movie we're covering this evening is the new Spider-Man entry, Far From Home. And this is the second solo Spider-Man movie in the MCU. The first one was last year's, or two years ago's, Homecoming. Yep. So, this obviously takes place after Avengers Endgame. We're going to have to spoil some things because they're a little bit central to the plot. If you haven't seen Endgame yet, I'm sorry. But even the trailers for Spider-Man now reveal a few of the plot points of Endgame. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so I would even recommend seeing Spider-Man Far From Home because I, Roger, am notorious for accidentally spoiling parts of the movie. <laughs> so it might be a good place to just stop the podcast and go see Spider-Man. But we're going to attempt to not spoil it too bad for you. All right. So this movie picks up literally right after Endgame. We find out that the universe has called what we've referred to as the snap, the blip. And we see that these characters have arrived back instantly wherever they left five years ago. They're the same age. Younger brothers are now older brothers. Relationships have moved on. And, unfortunately, the kids that vanished, like Peter Parker and MJ and his buddy, still have to finish high school. Yep, they did. They're not, if they blipped out... They're back in their junior all of, year, yep, I think. All of the kids that were in, like, fifth grade are now their classmates. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something crazy like that, you know. Well, conveniently, all of the main characters from Spider-Man yes. blipped out. How convenient. Now, you know, this does raise an interesting point for conversation. It was played for—two things were played for laughs, and uh, one of them was some of the impending doom to some of the characters in Endgame— was played, there was an homage, a high school TV show homage to them that was quite funny, mm-hmm. um, given the nature of the, what they were talking about. And then the second one was, when they talked about the blip, they showed the people, like, reappearing exactly in where they were when they disappeared, which was very funny in the theater and very morbid when <laughs> you start to really think about... <laughs> I had this exact conversation with my brother. Just think of all the poor people that were flying in an airliner when they blipped out. I guess yeah. they plummet to their death. Or what about the people on a cruise ship out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when they... Astronauts on the space station. <laughs> so you don't really want to pull. Just enjoy it for the laugh it is. Don't pull on that thread. It, it's going to be morbid. Yes. <laughs> but, but we see that Spider-Man uh, is just ready to put some things behind him. He just wants to hang the suit up in the closet. This is all stuff in the trailer. He just wants to go on his class trip with the science club. That's the coolest science club. My science club never went over to Europe, never did big fancy trips, but they're going to take a fancy trip and they're going to go far, far away from home. And importantly, this is always interesting in the Peter Parker arc, he's running away from responsibility. Nick Fury is literally calling him. You'll see this in the trailer and he's not answering. He's running from his duty. He doesn't know his place in this post-Avenger world. He doesn't even know if he's an Avenger. And he just wants to go on this trip. He wants to be a kid, and he wants to tell MJ how he feels. These are the most important things to him at this moment. Yep, absolutely. But being the hero he is, when danger comes up, he's got he's to put on that suit and go back to what Peter Parker's known for, is trying to balance his two lives. Is he the hero, or is he the everyman? Yeah, Absolutely. And and it's obvious from Endgame, the line has been crossed 
you're you're not you're not going to be. You've been to space and back, kid. You, you you know it's time to put on your big boy pants a little bit. Right. You know? No one else is around. We need you. We need you. And uh, so yeah. So you know he there, there's some things he has to address. He has to deal with. I will say on a lighter note, uh, Happy Hogan and May Parker, John Favreau, Marissa Tomei. They have a good. They, I think they have a good chemistry, and it makes um, Peter Parker so uncomfortable whenever they're around each other. You know, so I, I found that part very funny in the movie. And Happy's it, a fun role in this because he's not quite a surrogate father, <laughs> but he feels like a. In other movies, they'd use him as like a teacher that was interested in the student, right? Not quite a mentor, but he's an adult in Peter's orbit, right? That interacts with him, and, and you know, he does treat him like an adult. Yeah. So I've enjoyed Happy in all these films. I have. Oh, I just love John Favreau. I think he's he's great anyway, and uh, he kind of gives um, the Peter Parker character. Um, he gives. I think he gives him an anchor. I think he's the kind of the, maybe a little bit of the anchoring force. You know, Aunt May is not, and uh, his school teachers aren't. His friends are just kind of there. I guess you know. To me, in this film. Happy becomes his uh, anchor, his place of stability, you know? His... And the closest thing I can ever think of is he's the Alfred. Yeah, no, that's a, that is a, that he's is there a good analogy, yes. Guidance, transportation, weapons, yep. tools, and butler him around a little bit when needed. Okay. Well, tell me, what did you think of um, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Mysterio, in this? So we're not going to spoil anything here. You've seen in the trailer Mysterio's in the film. He can fly around. Someone says he's a cross between Iron Man and Thor. Yep. He wears the fish helmet, fish dome, and he's got powers. He has yeah. magic, uh, magic like you've yep. seen Doctor Strange use. And he's the only one that can really handle these elementals. That's the real threat of these movies are these elemental forces that are, that coming, are coming up yeah. to destroy our world. And as Mysterio says, they've already destroyed his, and he's come to help us. So the elementals are giant. Spider-Man's webs are not effective at all against them. So he's got to be creative how he fights them, which makes Mysterio so necessary because he can use uh, the magic yeah. like Doctor Strange Absolutely. to restrain him and, and do some other damaging effects. Well, and, you know, bringing him into this role, we already have a Doctor Strange and we there's an Iron Man character in this universe, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I don't, is there room for him in this uh, Avengers world? There is, because people are missing in action. I mean, that's literally Spider-Man's the only one that can do this at this point. Other people are spread out. They're gone. Yep. Yep. Um, no. And it's interesting. Fans of comic book are going to suspect Mysterio um, because of his traits. He's always been a villain. He's usually a magician. Yep. Um, all these things come into play, but not in the way you expect. It, it's, it was a very fun ride for me, not knowing quite what the movie was going to do with Mysterio. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is really good because he plays the buddy. He plays the mentor. Yes. And Spider-Man's looking to find someone to sort of pass a little bit of a torch onto that's going to help him protect the world in, in the void that was left after Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. And... I really like his performance in this. I, I don't know. I think if you if you had somebody else, a little lesser caliber of an actor, this could character could have really quickly become a caricature. And uh, Hall just has the chops to pull it off. He yeah, it's a line. He's got to be charming. He's got to be yeah. heroic. Yeah, and he does it. He carries himself really well in the role. And you can see why Spider Man would buddy up with him. Here's a new hero, and here's 
someone that can actually help us with these dangerous elementals. Yep, absolutely. And then, of course, you know, Spider-Man has his friends. Um, and uh, Zendaya, who plays MJ, she she's just great. She just continues to blossom and get better. And, you know, she's really starting to take take Hollywood by storm, you know? Yeah, she's everywhere. I mean, in... I really like her as MJ. She's a very untraditional take on MJ because she plays her as sarcastic and awkward. She's not so much the girl next door as um, maybe somebody you'd be seeing a board game store that you're happy to go game with. She's a very different MJ, and I very much like her sarcastic wit. She makes yeah. me laugh in all in both movies. I really like how she digs at Peter <laughs> yeah. Parker, and you can see why he likes her. <clears throat> well, while they both, she makes him so uncomfortable. And he, to an extent, makes her uncomfortable. And so it's like you th- they're like these forces that you throw together and you just you, it's just oozing awkwardness all the time, you know? And everyone but them sees how obvious they are as a couple. Yes. And if you watch both movies, and I recently saw Homecoming again, she's always watching him and he's always watching her. They do such a good job in a lot of these scenes yes. of, of them not seeing the other person paying attention to them. And, and they throw in some what you'd expect, some other competing love interests, but it doesn't really play too strongly, and you know how they're going to end up. I mean, that, that was, maybe they felt like they had to put some competition in there, but MJ never really went for it. No, no, absolutely. She's, if one thing, she's got her head grounded where it needs to be, and she's not going to be moved by silly stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts about the film overall? So they're balancing two things here. They want to make a comic book movie, but they also want to make like a road trip summer trip collegiate high school movie. Right. Yep. I don't know that it's all that balanced. It feels like each one suffered a little bit. Okay. You know, it wasn't a super strong road trip movie, and it's not the best of the MCU as far as the comic book action. Well, you know, the stakes have nowhere to go but down. You well, know? yeah, after Endgame. I'm just talking about the solo films. But, but, but in general... Um, you know, I would agree with you that the road trip version was not well, um, was just not real pulled off real great, but I did like the comic book versus, you know, hero versus villain aspect of the film. Uh, I thought it was something good and refreshing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really bought into it and thought, okay, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, this is middle of the pack MCU for me, I think. Oh Yeah. It's certainly not among the bottom, but I, I can't say it's up there with the stronger elements. I very much enjoyed it. I think it's one of the funnier MCU movies, maybe outside of Thor Ragnarok. This one has some pretty good laughs. Yep. And I have some older teenagers, and I have a daughter that's 17 that's absolutely in love with Tom Holland. So if you're listening, Tom, you need to get a hold of us on the podcast here. But anyway, he he can do no wrong in her eyes, and so she just came out of the theater just thinking that it was that was the greatest movie ever, you know, and she just absolutely Spider-Man is her favorite hero, bar none, you know, kind of a deal. So, I think the younger crowd, you know, high schoolers and 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 stuff are, are still really connecting, at least from what I can see, to the movie. So I'll say this: this is the fourth outing with him as Spider-Man, and he is my favorite over oh, Tobey yeah. Maguire and Andrew Garfield in the modern era. Yep, absolutely. So I would give Spider-Man Far From Home a thumbs up. I'd recommend it. I think it's a great example of a summer blockbuster film that you need to go see. And we try to do this. We'll tell you there are two stingers. Just oh, so yes. you, it's worth sticking around. These are important ones. Uh, there's one in the middle, and then there's one at the very end of the credits, and I think they're both worth sticking around for. Yes, absolutely. So stick around to the last 
frame is done. You're going to be glad you did. Uh, next up, we have a comedy and a very unlikely pairing together, but that often makes for really good comedy. And that is uh, the film Stuber. Why don't we um, name a side? Because I'm not crazy about the name, but name a side. Why don't we listen in to a little bit of the film and then we'll come back and give you our thoughts. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Dad? Hey. Hey, kid. You actually came? Yeah, of course I came. Whoa, what is that smell? A long story. Light dog food. Vomit. <laughs> wow, well, honestly, I'm just glad you're here. I don't care what it is. Who's your friend? Oh, Steve. Steve? Stu. Stu. I'm Stu. Oh. All right. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah, wow. Wow, right? Oh. Look at that. Let me I show you this. My hat drop a deuce. Thick. Nah, it's okay. I'm used to that. So, how do you know my dad? He kidnapped me. <laughs> we killed some people. Huh. All right, and we're back. And that was a little taste of Stuber. Now, I picked on the name of this film as not the greatest choice ever, but it makes sense for the film because it is a guy named Stu who drives nights and weekends for Uber, and his name tag, his name, what was Handle. His handle is Stuber, and um, it, it, it stars uh, Kumal Nanjiani and Dave Patista, and they are a clash both physically and, you know, comically. And, you know, they're just a clash. They're just opposites, you know. Um, and I got to say, the, the, the premise is nothing crazy. Dave Batista gets himself in a situation to where he has to use an Uber to catch the bad guys. He's had LASIK surgery and can't see or can't drive. And the big drug deal, of course, is going down that evening. Yes, and so he, he has, hijacks he's got to get to the spot where... Uh, and do some minor detective work. Yes, and so good old Stu is brought along for the ride. And I've got to say, uh, funny movie, man. I laughed several times out loud. Um, packed house in a mid to small size, smaller size theater tonight, but full. And that always helps when you have a comedy, you know. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Stuber? Yeah, it's funny. Um, this is your mainstream comedy. It's exactly what you'd expect. Buddy cop, only one of them's a cop. And it plays to both actors' strengths. Kumail gets a lot of great lines off doing some improv work. And Dave Bautista's great. He's he's being the gruff, not quite Drax, but has some shades of Drax cop. Oh, yeah. Doesn't yep. quite get some technology things that are funny. Yep. And uh, they work really well together. So, I mean, the laughs come from the two of them. And there's a fight in a department store, like a sporting goods store, that's actually really, really funny. It so kudos very, to them for yes, pulling that one off. Yes, very good. Um, I, I just, I really like Kumal. I, he, he's just, his sense of humor just really resonates with me. And so, you know, he is the ultimate 21st uh, century man, you know, has embraced all of his femininity. He's not afraid to cry, to hug, to be supportive. You know, he is uh, knows technology. Doesn't know how to use a gun. Has no clue how to use a gun. I mean, all your—and then you've got Dave Batista, Vic, 
you know, when your your name is Vic Manning, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. You might be partially a caveman. Yes, he's the caveman. He's the rough and tumble cop who, of course, has a beautiful young daughter as well, too. I mean, you know, all, all the tropes are there in this There's comedy. There's a mole in the department. Um, yes. The bad guy killed his partner. Yes. Anything you can think of you've seen a thousand times We're not going to spoil this film. You're, th- none of that is— you, There's you nary an original bone be, here. You can't be spoiled. And yet, it's a testimony to the chemistry of Batista and Kumal. They pull it off. It's funny. And and I promise you, if this movie gets any traction at the box office, there's going to be a sequel because they're funny together. Yeah, and that's the thing we should talk about. Comedies are just dying at the box office. We've had a lot of notable failures this summer from Long Shot to Late Night uh, to some others. Um, Booksmart. Booksmart was great, and it just came to the box office to die. Yeah. So people are obviously maybe valuing comedies a little different. Maybe they're not seeing them as theater fair and instead waiting to catch them at home on Netflix. I, I don't really know what's happened to comedies at the box office, and I think Hollywood's still scratching their head a bit too. Yeah, no, I would agree. And uh, Stuber may do okay, or it may go that same route, but it is, despite all of those trappings, it's quite funny. You know, it really works between the two of them, and uh, I enjoyed watching them. And I'll tell you right now, if they came out with Stuber 2, I would go watch it because the first one was funny, you know. Um, and the audience was really into it. Um, oh, yes. There was applause yeah. at the end. And you know what? This is a summer comedy. If you're looking to escape the heat and just see something silly in the box office, you're not going to be disappointed here. This is actually what you <coughs> want to go see yep. in that it's predictable, but it's well made. They they deliver on the the humor here. The the two leads are so good together that you're going to yeah. overlook all the repetitious tropey uh elements that make up the movie. Yep, absolutely. Um there there are some a couple throwaway roles. Karen Gilliam is one. Um I, I would say her role I think she just got invited over from Avengers to to, to play in this a little bit. So she is not really a main character, and, and Mara Sorvino is not really, you know, a main character. I mean, you know, I, you would have thought there was a time where that she would have been one of the leads, you know, but it's just not really—I think they're just thankless roles. Now, I will say uh, Natalie Morales, I liked her in the role, um, but it's not really—there's nothing, no depth. She's not really given anything to do and either. And she's playing the daughter here. Yeah, she plays the daughter. Um, so— Unfortunately, um, the ladies in this film are not really given much of anything to do, you know. No, they're sidelined. And actually, uh, Betty Gilpin is in here from um, the wrestling show Glow. Um, She's really good on there, and she's not given much here, just sort of a love interest. And she's sidelined for the movie. She only really exists to be the other end of a phone call a few times. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's really just the show with Kamel and, and Batista. Yeah. And they do pull it off. Um, It's funny, enjoyable. Uh, If you're out on a date night and you're looking for something funny to see, don't be put off if you think the title is, oh, this stupid title, blah, blah. No, it's it's actually funny. It's worth going to see. So um, hopefully you'll you'll get out and get a chance to see it and enjoy it as well. Any other thoughts from Stuber? Anything, Adam? Uh, No. I mean, uh, I was excited when I saw the director had previously done Goon. Goon is a hockey movie with Sean William Scott. I discovered it streaming, you know, a little bit ago, years ago, and it's quickly become one of my favorite comedies. I love Goon, so I'm glad to see he, 
he's making movies still, and he just gave yes. a Stuber, so I hope it does well. Yep, and I actually caught Goon in Canada. Yeah. So, and I, I remember one of our very early podcasts, I mentioned that, and you and our former co-host, Matt, went crazy. Oh, Goon is great. Yeah, we loved Goon, you know. Uh, so I thought that was funny. So anyway, Stuber is, uh, yeah, I'd recommend. Go see it. It's fun. It's funny. You'll enjoy it. Now we come to our last film, uh, Midsummer, um, and it is worth having a discussion about. So um, hold on to your seats. Let's take a little listen in to Midsummer. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, to I do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. Skull! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. All right, we are back for our last movie of the evening, and that will be Midsummer, or Midsummer, however you prefer to say it. That depends is the, on, depends on what side of the pond you're from. It is the sophomore follow-up from Ari Aster, who gave us last year's Hereditary. Even if you're not a horror buff, you've probably heard about Hereditary. It made a lot of waves as it came out with Tony Collette. This film feels like almost a companion piece to Hereditary. They deal with some similar elements of grief, uh, but they're, they're certainly different genres of horror. Hereditary had a lot of supernatural elements. Uh, it was funny. It was meant to be so. And Midsummer has some of the same humor, but it is a folk horror with no supernatural elements. Both just happen to deal with grief. In yeah. Hereditary, it's the loss of a family member. And there's some of that <clears throat> in Midsummer, but it's also about a slow breakup that maybe should have happened sooner. Yeah. Two of the lead characters are in a relationship. Uh, Christian, played by Jack Rayner, wants out. Danny knows that's Florence Pugh in this movie, knows he wants out. She feels him pulling away, but they've stayed together due to a tragedy. Yeah. And 
it's all going to get exacerbated once we get to this cult, this Swedish, very Swedish cult about to have their midsummer festivities. Yeah, I um, I really, really uh, enjoyed this film, and not in the oh, I it brought it brought me great pleasure to watch it, but. It, this is the reason I sit through a lot of other movies to get one like this that draws you in visually, um, really pulls on your senses. Um, kind of, you know, in my written review on our website, uh, I called it horror in broad daylight because some horrific things will happen in the very middle of the day, you know, so... For me, it's a very different kind of horror. A lot of times with folk horror, and I'm not by any stretch an expert, but a lot of times in folk horror, it's in the woods late at night with fog and dark and, you know, as a lot of horror is. But, you know, this is done literally in broad daylight. There's just the slightest hint of, because this is the summer solstice, there's so much daylight and where they're located, you know, and everything. Um, it's daylight a lot, like 20 hours out of the day or something crazy or 18 hours out of the day. But it's it's so amazing that Arya Aster can really just put you in vice grips and hold you in broad daylight. I don't know. I just really uh, found the film engaging. Um, I found it horrific at times. Um, I... I at times I wanted to look away and I couldn't because I had to see if it, what I thought was going to happen was going to happen, you know? And yet at, some, at the same time, there's some really funny elements in this film, just like Hereditary. You know, I, I, was, I was really nervous about Hereditary because I had heard, I mean, you came back just over the moon and I thought, yes, man. I was a big fan of Hereditary. I thought if Adam loved this film and it's as scary as he says it is, I just can't watch this film. And I'd put it off. To be fair, I was never pitching Hereditary scary. No, you were not. Yep. You were not. But I saw the trailers, and it just looked spooky scary to me. Like, I don't know if I want to sit through this. And I did, and I, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was engaging, but I found myself laughing a lot during this. And I thought, what's happened to me? Am I, have I gotten, like, I even texted you or something and said, what's wrong with me, Adam? There's a lot of this movie that's really funny. And you made some kind of comment. The director was surprised that more people didn't find this movie funny. You right. know, he was try he was going for comedy. So I guess I was connecting with Arya Aster in some level there. But man, this film is is beautiful. It's 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 it, it, it's engaging in its story. The characters are real twenty first century young adults that have cell phones and you know would act like you would act and be like, "What's going on? This is weird. This is strange." You know. It, it it you know they didn't have to time travel even though they're in a, a village that looks like it could be from the 1700s you know I don't know thoughts Adam yeah so I'm a big fan of Midsummer I really liked it I've had the chance to see it twice in theaters and it even plays better on the second viewing now what's really neat is this is no sophomore slump I think both films are great and we're already hearing the conversation between fans which film is better um, when we look at a second sophomore effort this year it would have been Jordan Peele's Us people enjoyed Us but I didn't hear too many people saying it was better than Get Out Get Out was the clear favorite I'm seeing more of a divide here between Hereditary and Midsummer with people's preference 
some didn't like Hereditary at all, really like Midsummer, and then the other way they like them both, but yeah. give an edge to Midsummer Hereditary based on personal preference. I've seen Hereditary probably four or five times. I've seen Midsummer twice. They're pretty close in my mind. I give Hereditary an edge, but uh, over time, Midsummer may overcome it. Being a complete novice in the horror genre, Midsummer is far and away a better film for me. I mean, far and away. To me, it's like he took a huge step. Mm-hmm. The craft, and, I'm not, I, and again, take this for what you want, but just the craft of filmmaking, the way he moves the camera, I, I have never seen ever. Okay, so any other director would, there's a scene in this movie, it's not spoilery, scene in this movie where there is a fertility ritual going on where a man, a young man and young woman are going to copulate to try to produce a child during this fertility ceremony and normally it would be played if you've seen it with a lot of other directors where the young man would be all just into it and yes i'm going to go get some and all this stuff and then the big shocker moment oh this is actually a fertility ceremony this is bad no this young man goes dragging like he is in pain and anguish and he he would rather be anywhere else on the planet than where he is and but he can't help but go to this to, to this deal, this ceremony. And then there are times where you're like, oh, you're cringing with him. And then he'll do something with one of the other actors because he's this. it's a ceremony. It's not just him and a girl. There's other people involved in this cult ceremony. And what, somebody else in that cult ceremony will do something and you'll start laughing. And then I'm feeling guilty because I'm laughing because he's, I should be feeling the anguish that he's feeling, but it's very, very funny. Right. When you're you know? safe, you're watching when it from you're a, safe, a safe distance. You, you know. And that's one of the elements I really like of modern folk horror is that two of the things they almost always do right away in horror movies are get rid of cell phones and isolate <laughs> the characters. Yeah. Folk horror does that nicely because you're already away from everyone. They can make it so you're out of cell phone range of anything, no signal. And the thing I, I really enjoy about this subgenre is that you would naturally not be worried about something that would normally worry you. For instance, when you go to a Renaissance fair, you think you're safe. You're not worried the Black Knight's going to ride you down right. and beat you with a flail, right? Yes. You're a tourist. Yes. So when weird things are happening around you, you don't have that sort of fight or flight response. You think you're just watching theater. You feel safe. Everyone comes to do these things. And you would naturally stay in that situation longer than you would, you know, if it was something odd happening in downtown of your home city because you're in this place that's weird. And that's what's kind of fun to me about this movie. It builds up. The characters do some drugs. Obviously, that would also help them stay there. And then when they're stuck, they're stuck. And it gets more horrific as it goes. Oh, yes. I'm telling you, this movie, um, it's worth a second watch. You know, the content is just oh, hard to see at watch at times, you know, for me. It's just hard to see. It's a horror film, you know, and I don't naturally gra- gravitate toward this kind of film. It's just not in my genre, you know. But, man, this guy can hold a camera and use music and use lighting. And we haven't even talked about the foreshadowing and the symbolism everywhere around these kids when they're in this village, you know? He opens the movie with with a collage that if I bet if you had, could pause it and just study it, it's the whole film. 
shown to you right at the beginning. There's a lot in here about the seasons, from death to yes. rebirth. Yes. So I, I just really was uh, um, engaged by this film, um, was really like, wow, this is, you know, the content is hard to watch. I, you know, somebody said, would you recommend this film to someone? I have a lot of people, no, I would absolutely not recommend you see this film, you know, because you will not enjoy it. But if you're somebody that, if you like the horror genre, if you like folk horror specifically, if you liked The Witch, if you liked Wicker Man, Wicker Man, if you liked Hereditary, you know, I think you, you owe it to yourself to give this movie a shot. I mean, it is very well done, very well shot. And I... And Arya Aster is saying he's done with horror, going to go on to something else. Whatever he decides to do, horror or not, I'm going to be in the theater for his third film. Yeah. Um, something else I, I think it's worth talking about is I'm not going to spoil it. The last shot in this movie, if you ever go to Birth Movie's Death, uh, a notable writer over there was actually comparing it to the final shot in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, they're way different. But there is something where it's just the perfect closing shot. The emotions that are displayed there are masterful. And it leaves some questions about whether this is anguish or whether this is release. And feeling like rebirth. Because again, the movie does move from the opening of death to rebirth and starting anew. And maybe getting yep. something out of your system. Actually processing the grief in a horrific way. But getting it out and starting anew in the new season. Yeah. Now, something else I really appreciate what Ari Aster's done in his films is the character development. A lot of movies like this would have started on the plane. But we get introduced to these characters, and it's 20 minutes before the credit. Yep. We get a lot of development right there, and I think that's important for the rest of the film. I could not agree more. Um, he takes his time to let you get to know these characters. Um, and Florence Pugh is just... I mean... Okay, let me just say this. I've seen her in a couple things now, and she's just great. Wrestling, she's in this movie called Small Little Indie Fighting Film, with My Family. Fighting with My Family. Phenomenal in that movie. If you're if you're a wrestling fan or not, go. you should see that movie. If it's on iTunes, you should rent it. Rest, uh, Fighting with My Family, great. And then she makes this, and it's a completely different character. She's physically looks completely different. Mm -hmm. And completely, you buy it. I mean, pulls it off. Sometimes it's so hard to portray just grief on screen because it, you almost have to not act. It's hard to portray just being sad, you know? Well, and she does the range. I mean, she does full-on anguish, the ugly cry to an yes. extreme. Yes. And she's able to, to give it her all for those moments. Oh, man. Such a good performance by her. Um I don't know if she'll get any nods come award season, but it was a good performance. And, and one thing we're learning from Ari Aster is characters are always a little bit complicated. Yes. They're all gray. Um, she's not the best girlfriend in the world. No. And, uh, Christian, the boyfriend, is a jerk, but he's not the biggest jerk you've ever seen. No. The, I mean, they kind of nitpick at each other. And, you know, your own personal take on how this movie may make one seem better or worse to you. But they're all shades of gray. There's yes. There's no perfect characters in his work. Yep, absolutely. So, I, I, if you're uh, if you're into the horror genre, uh, I'm going to recommend Midsommar to you. How about you, Adam? Absolutely. If this isn't in my top ten at the end of the year, I'd be shocked. We're having a very good year for film. It was my number one anticipated movie this summer. 
And I was so happy that it delivered for me. Well, that's great. Uh, my number one anticipated of the film is still just a few weeks away. But we'll get to that on the next podcast. Um, you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> I think I do. Yes. Akuna Matata. No, you don't know. You don't know me at all. 78 episodes. I know. It's Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, my friend. Hollywood story here. My number one anticipated film of the year. But anyway, we'll get to that in another podcast. Midsommar. It is interesting. It is complex. It's um, horrific. Um, It's scary. But yet, it's also funny and engaging and moving. So Ari Aster, hats off, man, from the film Coterie. You, 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 you hit it out of the park. All right, we'll be back with our coming attractions. Just kind of let you know how you can stay connected to us and what we might have on the agenda over the next few weeks as we smolder through the doldrums of summer on the Film Coterie podcast. And we're back, and it's time for our coming attractions. And as you, how did you affectionately put it, Adam? Gators, Lions, and Tarantino. There you go. That's what's on the agenda for the next few weeks. We have the, uh, uh, what is the Gator movie called again? Crawl. Crawl. Hurricane horror at its finest. Yes, yes. A hurricane and a killer crocodile or alligator, whatever you want to call it. Um, That'll be interesting. And then we have (laughs) The Lion King, live action. Well, let's just call it CG animated, Lion King. Yes, let's call it CG uh, CG animated. And my number one most anticipated film of the year. See if you get it right this time. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. <sighs> what a cast! I'm telling you. I think. I think. I, I mean, everything in my gut is telling me this will not stink. He's going to hit it out of the park. So I'm really looking forward to this. What's your least favorite, Tarantino? Man. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to think about it. Maybe the, um, well, his last one, The Hateful Eight. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's probably my least favorite. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, th- there's a part of me <clears throat> that fell in love with Tarantino when the world was different, mm-hmm. and I'll just leave it there. And the world has moved on. I've tried to move on. I don't know that Tarantino has moved on. <laughs> and so part of me wonders if um, I can, I'm can. i still really going to dig him like I should, but anyway— that's for another time. Um, yeah, so Hateful Eight would be my least favorite. But I'm really looking forward to um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's it's got a great cast. And I don't know. What do you think, Adam? It's got a good trailer. Um, I think it'll be the longest Tarantino film since Kill Bill was separated. 
It's clocking in at two hours and 40 minutes, last I heard. Are you serious? Well, it says two hours and 39 minutes on IMDb. So I'm a minute <laughs> off. But let me just run, check this out, okay? Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Dakota Fanning, Timothy Oliphant. I mean, come on, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Luke Perry. This this cast is it's insane. It's insane that he got all these all these people together to to work on this. So um, we'll see. My guess is, let me just and you, you and I talked about this at dinner tonight. I think this is going to follow DiCaprio um, through the movie with um, Brad Pitt. I think it's going to be those two guys on their. If I had to guess, I have no foresight whatsoever. I think it's going to follow Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Which are just great names. Yes, on their journey through Hollywood. <laughs> In that era. In that era, yes, which you, you got to love. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be um, the 60s Hollywood at its best. Um, and I'm, worst. And worst. Uh, of course, it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. We're going to see the underbelly. Well, the thing with Tarantino, he's not afraid to play with history. So just because Charles Manson is in the film, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Yes. Unlike Marilyn Manson, as I kept referring to him during <laughs> dinner during dinner tonight. <laughs> but no, yeah, absolutely. We, we've seen that with uh, Inglorious Bastards and some of his other films. He's not afraid to just screw around and write history the way he wants it. So yeah. should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this, and I'm looking forward to our next podcast. So. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys have a have a great one. Thank you for sticking with us to the very end. This is the Film Coterie Podcast. How can they stay connected to us, Adam? Uh, the best place is on Facebook, facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. We are also on Instagram and Twitter with the same handle. Just look up us up under at filmcoterie, and we have a website, filmcoterie.com. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We'll see you next time on another episode of the Film Coterie Podcast.